0: Good morning. morning. We welcome you here to Boiling Springs Baptist Church. We are glad that you are here with us today, uh, the week after Easter. Uh, We are glad that you have chosen to worship with us. Myself and Clay Bryson and Trista Williams are going to open our service this morning with a call to worship. We gather in this place today to worship freely because of the love shown on a cross by our Redeemer, Jesus Christ.
1: This is the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the shame. We stand forgiven at the cross.
0: Amidst life's constant and seemingly never-ending distractions, we gather today to pause and give thanks to a selfless God who gave the life of Jesus for us, an often selfish people. This the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the shame, we stand forgiven at the cross. On this week after Easter Sunday, we gather to boast. Not about our accomplishments, nor our families or friends accomplishments. But today we boast about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, which culminated with the ultimate act of love. For each of us here today, around the world, and forevermore. This, the power of the cross, Son of God slain for us, what a love, what a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross.
2: It is because of the message of the cross that we go, that we go to Shelby, that we go, well, let me start with the Boiling Springs, that we go to Shelby. That we go across our state, across our nation, and across our world. This morning, you're going to see a video, and after the video, we'll be singing our in-gathering hymn, and you'll have an opportunity to give to home missions. You'll have a couple of different options to do that, and we encourage you to respond at that time. Bowling Springs Baptist has a long history in uh, placing great importance on missions. And it's because of the cross, it's because of what Christ has done in us and what Christ has done for the world that we give and that we also. Go. Father, we ask for your blessings this morning on the service and on this mission's offering. We pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts to both give and go in communicating and sharing with others the good news that's found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen.
3: I was born and raised in an Afghan family in Afghanistan. Traditional, ordinary Afghan family. Every day I saw some Americans patrolling around our neighborhood. I was a kid, I'd already learned some basic words of English in school, so I gathered the nerves, I went up to the American soldiers and I said, hey, how are you? That's how it all started. These guys were looking for a translator. I translated combat situations where the enemy was literally shooting and trying to kill us in front lines and I was translating coordinations between the American soldiers and the Afghan soldiers. In the year of 2011 and 2012, most of the American soldiers were going to come back to America because their mission there was coming to an end, which meant for me, I didn't have protection anymore. I had to leave Afghanistan to run for safety. I left Afghanistan, went to Europe. After spending four years country hopping and knocking doors and trying to convince people that I was a good person. My American friends finally called me and said, hey, you have to go to the U.S. Embassy in Germany. They have your visa available for you. So they'd already put in an immigration packet for me to come to America. They said, you've saved our lives repeatedly. You've been wounded, protecting us. Now the day has come where we need to save you. I went to the embassy. They had to take one more year of doing appropriate security checks, and then I was allowed to travel to America. I came to America as a refugee. Volunteers through some of the civic organizations that are here greet me at the airport. They brought me to a house called the Welcome House. That's when I met Uncle Mark and Aunt Kim, some of the greatest people that I've ever came across in my entire life. The Welcome House made it possible for me to take a deep breath and start taking those very initial basic small steps towards a life worth living here in America. We as individuals will have our strong days and we will have those days where just nothing is working out. But what we can do as individuals, and also as communities, families, as people, what we can do is help the guy out who's trying to get on his feet. I promise you, there is more good in this world than there is bad. And that's what keeps this world running. We as people have to remember that we are one and not desert those who are in need today. It could happen to us.
1: Our in-gathering hymn is number 269. We all are one in mission. There will be some young women up here to receive your offering if you would bring it forward at this time. Your offering for home home missions and CBF global missions. Mm-hmm. girls today. Oh my goodness. What am I going to do? Let me switch over here then since we've got girls and not a lot. I have a candle this morning and it's burning really bright, isn't it? And if it was dark outside, it would be even brighter, wouldn't it? But do you know what this candle represents? This represents our heart and our love for Jesus. And how long does it stay bright? Forever, that's right, it stays bright forever. Our, our love for Jesus and Jesus' love for us stays bright forever and ever. But what happens to our light if we got up this morning and we told mama we didn't make our bed when we were supposed to? Would our light go out? Would we have done something that God was not happy about? I think so. So if our light goes out, then what do we have to do to make the light come back on? Turn it back on? Turn it back on. That's exactly right. Miss Ellen would just turn it back on. But what else might we do to get our light to come back on? The big girls know. Do we have to pray and ask God to forgive us, don't we? Yeah. Yes. So we... When- you and daddy pray, and you know that is awesome that you share that time with your daddy. He is teaching you how to do exactly what you're supposed to do, and that's pray. So once our light goes out, because we don't always do good things, we ask God to forgive us. And it says in First John 1, God is faithful and fair. If we tell him what we do wrong, he will always forgive us. He will never forgive everything wrong we have done unless we ask. He will make us pure and He will turn our light back on. And it will always burn. So, something simple as praying to God and asking Him to take care of us and to forgive us is all it takes to let your light shine so perfectly every day. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for these special children. We thank you for the light that shines with Rylan, with Lila, with Georgia. We thank you for the light that shines in their families and in their friends. The light that you have brought, Lord, their faith, their belief as children, that you will always be there for them. We thank you, Lord, for this absolutely beautiful Sunday and that we have a place to come to be together. Bless this church, this families. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus and the season that we have just celebrated. It's in his name. Amen.
0: Before we pray together this morning, uh, we want to remember Jane Stroud. Uh, we continue to remember Jane in prayer following her lung transplant. Um, I heard this morning um, that her, her family really wants everyone to be in prayer for her kidneys. Um, they hope to take her off of dialysis tomorrow tomorrow. Um, so that she can begin physical therapy. Um, But this is just a a long road and a tough recovery for Jane. And so as a church family, we want to continue to remember Jane in our prayers. Uh, Coming up here this month, in just a few weeks, we have uh, an exciting opportunity in our church and in our community. We are going to be having community renewal services. Uh, Our church combined with Green Bethel here in Boiling Springs, uh, April 15th through 18th, April 15th through 18th at 7 p.m. each evening, We will have these community renewal services Sunday and Monday, the 15th and 16th. These services will take place at Green Bethel. And then on Tuesday and Wednesday evening, the 17th and 18th, uh, these services will take place here at our church. We hope that you will be able to come every night, uh, but we hope that you will come as often as you can, uh, April 15th through 18th. And so we as a church want to be in um, intentional prayer for These services, and that we would pray for ourselves, for Green Bethel, as we hope to have this time of renewal within our community of Boiling Springs. Let us go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. Our God, it is so often (coughs) that we are filled with noise and sounds and the different distractions and troubles of the world that. It is rare that we get silence. God, it is rare and hard to make the time and find the time that we would spend with you. And Lord, we pray that each of us in our hearts would be more intentional about our relationship and our walk with you each day. Lord, we pray this morning for Jane Stroud... She is a beloved member of our church and a beloved child of yours. And God, we pray for Jane's continued recovery. We pray for her continued strength. We pray for doctors and medical experts that you would give them the strength and the knowledge and the tools that they need to care for Jane and for Jane's family. Lord, we pray also for this community of Boiling Springs that here in just a few weeks as we gather with Green Bethel, that you would truly be in the midst of our times together. We pray that these services would be meaningful, that they would have a clear purpose, and that that purpose would be to worship, to glorify you and to build up your kingdom. Lord, you know the concerns and the requests that are hidden in our hearts this morning. There are many of us in this room, God, who struggle with insecurities, with physical ailments, There are many of us in this room who struggle with very real and practical problems. God, there are many of us in this room who may feel alone, hurt, or even defeated. But God, we gather today as a community of believers, and we rest assured following our easter celebration that we do not have to be defeated we rest assured in the power of the cross we rest assured in the love of jesus and god we are so grateful for that love Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless this time of worship that we have together this morning. We pray that through our songs, our spoken words, our prayers, and our meditation, that everything that we do would be pleasing to you. Lord, may we not seek to build up our own kingdoms or our own agendas, but may we seek to build up your kingdom. God, we are grateful for this church family, for this time that we can gather together and share life with one another. We are grateful for the blessings that you give each of us each day. We pray for continued strength for the coming week. We pray for students and teachers and faculties of school as they return from what has hopefully been a restful spring break. Lord, each of us here today needs encouragement, prayer, support, and love. And God, we are grateful that we find those things in you, but that we also find those things within this community. Lord, may each of us, as your called and beloved children, seek your will, and may each of us seek to be the people that you have called us to be, to love you and to love others far more than we love ourselves. Bless this time of worship, and may your spirit be in this place, and may we accept your presence. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask these things. Amen.
1: Our hymn is number 190, The Power of the Cross 190. And I'll call to your attention that there are four stanzas. And each stanza has a chorus. You sing the first chorus the first three times. And then there's a fourth chorus that goes with the fourth stanza. I hope that makes sense. As we go along, I think it will make more sense. Uh, If you are able, please stand and join in singing The Power of the Cross, number 190. we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the blessings you have given us. Today, I am grateful for those who give, who give to support the foundation of the church, and who give so that we are able to reach out to others in our community and further your kingdom. In your name I pray, amen.
4: passage this morning <clears throat> comes from 1st John I'll be reading the first chapter and the first two verses of chapter 2 that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life the life was made manifest and we saw it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing this, that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter two, my little children, I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the expiation for our sins and not, our, not for our only but also for the sins of the whole world
2: thank you Tim let's go to God in prayer once again God it's my prayer that the preaching of your word would fall on good soil this morning that it would take root in our lives and produce fruit this morning we ask that you would deepen our resolve to know you and to love you more May your spirit speak through me and may it speak to each one here today, meeting each of us at the point of our need. If we have any here today who may have never committed their lives to you, may the day be the day of salvation. And for those who know you, draw us closer to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray this prayer. The name of Jesus, our risen Savior, amen. God blessed us. This last Sunday, with a wonderful Easter celebration. Many of you participated not only in the service at 11, but we had the sunrise and the pancake breakfast and the Sunday school hour and just a wonderful, wonderful time to be together. And as the message of Christ begins to, uh, as we reminded ourselves of his life, his death, and his resurrection, as it begins to take root in our lives, we ask the question begin to ask that question today. What should this look like in my life? What should it look like in your life? What should it look like for children of God? What are some common characteristics that you and I and that all of God's children share in being called children of God? This morning, we begin a new sermon series called Family Resemblance. We're gonna be looking at the similarities. What are the birthmarks, if you will, of God's family and God's children? Most every parent enjoys um, posting pictures of their children on their refrigerator, or you have uh, pictures in your phone, many of you post them on Facebook, we put them on our desk at work, at the office, uh, we, wherever we can, we want to let everybody know and everybody see our family. I've been here at Bowling Springs now for a little while, and I have gotten to know many of your extended family. Some here in the community, maybe go to other churches. Uh, maybe maybe they, are, they live far away, and I've enjoyed seeing those. We, we share about them. We love them, and we share their stories, and we, we see their pictures. But in First John, we get a glimpse of God's photo album. Did you know that God likes to show us off as well? That God likes to, 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 uh, to uh, he, he loves his creation, and he loves to see his creation. Today and over the next few weeks, we will explore what God's children look like as we go down this theme of family resemblance. Beginning today and throughout the sermon series over the next few weeks, I'm going to be showing a few pictures, some family photos, if you will, to kind of get us moving in the right direction. And I have one near the beginning here of our time, if we could put that up. We're going to be showing some different staff family photos, and so I thought I would lead the way in that today, but you may see some staff, family, either current staff, family, or the family we had growing up. And um, if you could put it back on the screen for the choir up there, but you see here, this was probably about 10th grade, and my sister is about six years older than I am, so she's in her early 20s. There's mom and and dad, and mom's got her nice uh, dress on there. I guess that was the 80s. I'm I'm thinking late 80s, I believe, but uh, good-looking family there. Uh, let's go to the next one. You may recognize these next, uh, ladies and gentlemen here in the photo, the Brooks sisters and brother Bud. And I think I've got all these names, right? We've got Kat Jolly Rogers, Carolyn Gordon, Bud Brooks, Lib Jones, Becky Wallace, and, um, Polly McDaniel. Did I get that right? Carolyn Hunt. what did I say? Gordon. Gordon. I don't, don't just forget what I said. Carolyn Hunt. I thought I was going to get that right. Mess it up. But um, beautiful, beautiful photo and, and beautiful family right here. And we certainly see the resemblance. I think they all really have, even to this day, dark hair. I think they just dyed that pretty white. What do you think? <laughs> but um, wonderful family, wonderful picture. Let's go to the, to the next one. We've got this family. I think many of you recognize this family. I see a few of them down here this morning. But you've got Margaret and Pete in the top, white. And seven children, and I'm going to have to go back to my notes for this one. I cannot remember, I cannot remember all of the names. But you have Carol Smith, Charles White, Meredith Moorhead, Celeste Thurman, John White, Catherine Gamble, Joel White. That's it, I think. Did I get them all, Margaret? Okay, I got, I got the, I got the nod. So um, the first picture you see has Pete and Margaret, and the last one was taken at the Founders' Day celebration here in September. And I think, I think you see, you can uh, look at the faces and just see some, f- some family resemblance there as well. I think, uh, well, I know the family enjoys getting together for vacations in the summer and also around the holidays. And I would say that they probably have to rent out the closest Coliseum in order to get everybody together uh, when, when they gather. But uh, it is a blessing to serve in a church that does have so many different family units and family structures and uh, it is a blessing to share life together uh, as, as, um, as a church family, but also uh, many of you who share that with family as well. As we continue with this sermon series on family resemblance, you may never know who might show up on the screen one Sunday. So be here over these next few weeks and you might just be up there or someone you're related to might be up there one Sunday. Uh, I'm currently bouncing around the idea of a church family photo. This is still just in the works. We've only begun talking about it, but uh, maybe near the end of this sermon series, possibly on Mother's Day, we might end the service a few minutes early, go grab the babies, come out front uh, under the columns, and let's do one of those old-fashioned historical family, church family photos out front under the columns of the church. So you keep your uh, ears open for that, and if that we're able to work that out, uh, then we'll, we'll do that coming up here in just a few moments. In our scripture today, the Apostle John, often referred to as Jesus' beloved disciple, speaks to Christians in the family of God. And he says this multiple times in 1 John. And you'll hear him talk about things in relationship to father, to son, to family, to children. You'll hear these, these words throughout John's epistle. John wants his readers to know that they are all in God's family. And in 1 John, he mentions several characteristics of this new birth. But before we get into these characteristics and what God's children looks like, I think it's important today for us to set some background and for us to set the story for where we're going to be going over these next few weeks. Of Jesus' 12 disciples, we know that Jesus, I mean that John, excuse me, was a part of the inner circle. Of three, some say four, of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And of all those, we know the gospel of John and it places, refers to John as the beloved disciple. James, again, was the brother of John. We met um, their father, Zebedee, last Sunday morning at seven, if you were here for the sunrise service, and got to know him a little bit better. Um, But he was a wealthy fisherman, and they come from a life of privilege. If you remember James and John, their mother, Salome, uh, she was the one who went to Jesus and said, "'Will you grant that my sons may sit one on your right and one on your left as we go into the new kingdom?' And um, they, she was uh, adamant about the fact that not only did her boys have privilege in this life, but she wanted them to have privilege in this new kingdom that Jesus was talking about as well. But John wrote five of the books that we know in the New Testament. He wrote the gospel, which was written to unbelievers. And we know this through, through the wording that we see in the, in the gospel. But in John 20, verse 31, he tells us why and who he was writing to. He says, these things I have written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is the best book in all of scripture for the new believer, for the Christian or the one who is wondering, now, who is Jesus? We've heard this, we've heard that. Go to the Gospel of John. Just two weeks ago, someone was in my office who recommitted their life to Christ, who heard about him growing up and who said, you know, I just didn't, everything didn't come together until just a few weeks ago and they were talking to me in the office and I just reminded them. I said, you know what? They were getting ready to go out of town for some time and I said, you know what? Just start, go back to the Gospel of John and begin to read the Gospel of John and let the words uh, sink in and uh, you'll have a greater understanding of who Christ is and why he came and what he's done for you and what he's done for me. But it's the most basic understanding of Jesus. Start with the Gospel of John. But John not only wrote the Gospel, but he also wrote three epistles, where we are today. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then he wrote that book that uh, excites us and intrigues us and puzzles us, and it's a mysterious book at times, that wonderful book of Revelation. And uh, that could be argued as far as all of John's authorship uh, with that book. But uh, nevertheless, we are on 1 John today. The three epistles, 1 and Second and third John, were written to believers the gospel was written to unbelievers. These epistles were written to believers, but believers who were doubting their faith. Are you ever there? I talked to some uh, individuals in our church family recently, uh, just recently, who expressed to me that their family members uh, had some doubts. And we are reminded of, in, in thinking along those terms, this, again, written to believers, believers who were doubting their faith. John says in 1 John 5:13, these things... It sounds similar to the gospel, right? These things I have written. He says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And he says that at other times there in the epistle as well. It's interesting that in John, he wrote three epistles, not to one person, not to one group, not to one church. We, we see with Paul and his epistles, and it, again, it's important to get all this background. We see with Paul and his epistles in the New Testament that they were written to the church in Colossae or the, the, uh, the churches in Galatia or, or um, written to, you know, when we read Romans. And they, they have a clear author, they have a clear uh, direction and a clear audience in which these letters go. We don't see that spe- specificity, am I getting that out right? With uh, the epistle of 1 John. We do know that he was in Ephesus at the time and that he was writing to churches in the area of Ephesus. That's one thing that that we do know. But he was writing to Christians, Christians who were being distracted by teachings, one of which was called Gnosticism. Some of you, if you've been in church, you've been in Sunday school, and even from the pulpit at times, you may have heard of this little word called Gnosticism. Uh, it, It made knowledge, not faith, the one condition of salvation. But this knowledge was not for everyone. It was only for a select few. And so it, it, this, this teaching, this false teaching was infiltrating the church and it was causing the church to, to begin to go astray and to follow these, these false doctrines. It also taught that all matter, including the human body, is evil. But it taught where the spirit lives, that's good. So if the spirit and body is separate, then you can do whatever carnal, uh, licentious things that you want to do with the body and the spirit is still good because the two are separate. And so you can imagine what that would do for the church. That John was trying to to lead in the ways of Christ. The Spirit remains undefiled and sinless regarding whatever the body does. This teaching led many to immoral living. So there's Gnosticism, and there was a cousin of that called Docetism, and I may be mispronouncing that, but it means uh, I think, I think, and belief that Jesus only appeared to be a man. The Spirit came to Jesus when he was baptized. And then the Spirit left him sometime just before the crucifixion. And so John is writing to the church around Ephesus and to the believers around Ephesus saying, uh, be aware. I mean, if you read through 1 John with that understanding, you're aware that John is writing to the people who are being taught these false doctrines. And so we see time and time again, some simple truths that are uh, taught, that are communicated to John's audience. And we see that over and over again. It's uh, to not to be written to a specific person, to not to be written to a specific person, it is an intensely personal book. Uh, Some of the books you may read throughout the Bible, you're saying, okay, what exactly is being said? What exactly is being communicated? When you read 1 John, that's not the case. And not only is that not the case, but it's also a very um, personal, uh, intensely personal book as well. It's very similar to the Gospel of John. Some say that 1 John is a good summary of the Gospel of John, and I would, I would agree with that. The first chapter of each is very similar. If you look to the Gospel of John, it says, uh, do, and ask yourself, does this sound like what Tim Lancaster just read? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was still in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and that life was the light of of men. We read that in 1 John chapter 1. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Words that Tim read there, if you go back and look at the beginning of 1 John as well. By this point, John writing 1 John, of, of him writing uh, 1 John, he is a seasoned, uh, he's a seasoned person, a seasoned man, a seasoned Christ follower at this point. Uh, he was an older man. He is a proven servant of God, and when he speaks, he does so with a wise fatherly counsel, one that we should listen to. Some of you know what that's like as we talk about family. And as you're around, uh, you can think of someone who, whoever it may be in your family. Maybe it's a grandmother or a grandfather, or maybe it was one that is not with us today. And they could have been one that loved to speak a lot. And, but nevertheless, you listened to what they had to say. But then at times, uh, especially in serious times when, when they don't speak and then all of a sudden they do speak, finally, after you've explained some transition or big event in your life, you almost lean in a little bit. What are they gonna say? And you have that impression as John begins to write this epistle here. It's like, what is he saying? And we really need to listen. We really need to lean in to hear what it is that he has to tell us. So we know who is writing First, first John. It's the Apostle John, the beloved, the one who walked with and was very close to Jesus. To, and, and we know who to who they were believers who were doubting their faith that he was writing to and we know why it was to confront false teaching john gives his audience clear and fundamental teachings some certainties about what children of god look like christians come in many different shapes and sizes some are tall some are shorter some are larger some are smaller some have different skin tones some come from different countries some speak different languages but yet, some and some have different personalities, and I could go on and on about that. But specifically, what do we learn from these first few verses of 1 John about the characteristics of God's children? And just a few things that I want to mention. We'll be doing this each week. But first of all, we see the importance of fellowship, the importance of fellowship with God and with one another. These, these are not on the screen today. But in verse 3, it talks about uh, the word fellowship. Many of you have heard that word here at Boiling Springs before or in your studies, but the word koinonia. And it comes up in relationship to God and to others, but it's, it has this idea of partnership. It has this idea of participation with, this idea of communion. An example of this and lived out within family: when one goes against family values, there can also often be a break in fellowship. Some of you know what this is like. Some of you, maybe as a young child or even as a young adult, may have went against family values, and as a result of that, there may have been a break. In fellowship. Example of this also could be um, I, I never remember my dad saying this a time or two in my in growing up, but son, you're a McKinney, and McKinneys simply don't do this. I don't know if you ever heard that in your family. There's certain things probably that could be said, whatever this is, that you do or that you don't do. And it may be said, you're a Green or you're a Hamrick or you're a whatever it is, and that is not something that we do. It's a big deal when we go against family values. Early Jewish believers, this idea that uh, you're a child of God, we don't do that. You don't act like those who? Those Gentiles, because you are a Jew. You're a Jew who has experienced Christ and knows Christ and now follows Christ. And son, we don't do those things, whatever those things are. In your baptism, you were called a child of God. And this comes with certain responsibilities, and your family growing up, I don't know if your parents ever said that, but because you are so-and-so, because you are a part of this family, that comes with certain responsibilities. And I think it's true, like I said, if we go against family values, if we go against what our family stands for at times, there can be a break in fellowship where things are a little bit distant. That's when children go to their rooms and there's a little bit of a separation there. But nevertheless, John is talking here in the first chapter of the epistle about the importance of fellowship, the importance of fellowship, the characteristics. What does God's children look like? They have fellowship with one another. And not only do they have fellowship with one another, they have fellowship with me because of what I have done for them. The second thing is we see the importance that joy should have in the Christian's life. Verse 4, he says, these things we write, meaning this whole epistle, 1 John, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. The church at the time and the believers, not the one church, but the churches and the Christians the believers at the time are dealing with some things that are robbing them of their joy. You and I can identify with that, can't we? We have a lot of joy robbers in our world today. Sometimes those joy robbers come into our homes through computers and internet and through TV. Sometimes they come in because of uh, influences that come into family members' uh, lives and then those influences come into their lives and they come into our homes. And sometimes these things that are not of God rob us of the joy that God has for the believers and for his church. As Christians, we have a lot of joy robbers. But John reminds the church then and the church today that he writes so that our joy may be made complete. That should be a distinguishing characteristic of God's children, joy. Joy is different than happiness, Happiness, you know, we go up and down, and we, but joy, even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of great pain and difficulty, we can experience the joy of what it is to know and follow God. The other characteristic we see is the importance of God's children being honest about themselves, about being honest about themselves. We see down in verses 8 and 9, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A characteristic of God's children is that we're honest about ourselves. We know, and, and, and maybe you're willing at times to say, yeah, we know we're good at such and such, but at the same time we say, you know what, I'm really weak in this area. I often fall short in this area. Being honest about ourselves is important, not only to who we are now, but to who we are becoming and where we are moving in our relationship with Christ. Admittance, and for those of you who know or who have had any addictions either in your own life or in the life of a family member, you know that admittance is the first step toward recovery. That's what we say and that's what they say and teach in Alcoholics Anonymous and, and other any kind of addiction is that we have to say, I have a problem and this is controlling my life. Each of us, I hope, have had that time. If you've not, I'd love to talk with you about that today where we have said, I am a sinner and I am prone to sin. I am not perfect. I'm not going to be perfect, but sin is present in my life. And as a result of that, God, I confess that I am not where I need to be with you and that I need the cleansing power and the atoning sacrifice of your son in my life to make me one with you. The next thing we see... um, is the importance is that as we walk in his light, we experience a shared life with the rest of the family. As we walk in his light, we experience a shared life with the rest of the family. In verse five, it says, This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. When one family member goes does something against the will the, the will of the others, it's it's weird and it's strange, and it causes a break in the relationship at times. And so therefore, you used to have what my extended family would say, a family conference. Do You guys, anybody use that term? I don't know. Say, we need to have a family conference. Whenever I heard that, I knew it was not a good thing. uh, Because that means somebody's done something, or somebody's going in a direction that the family's not pleased with, and we've got to sit down and we've got to talk this thing out. But often, uh, uh, as we walk in his light, we experience a shared life with the rest of the family, When we're walking in God's path and his will and his purpose for our life, we begin to experience not only that joy, but that fellowship that he talks about here, being part of the family and um, the joys and the, 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 all the things that come with that, the fellowship and the privileges of that. But when we think about similarities, we think about common characteristics that should be evident in all of God's children, there is one that is at the top of the list. One that we are not focusing on today but will be over the next 4 weeks hot and heavy each and every Sunday. John uses the word love over 50 times in this short little epistle. If you go back to the Gospel of John, you can see the word love. You remember what he said? He says a new command that I give you, that you what? That you love one another. You think of John 13:35, by this all men will know that you know me. Not by what News channel you watch, not by what, or house you own, or all of these things, or how you, what you're involved in in the community, but you will know. We will know that you are my disciples by our love for one another. Love is the MVP, if you will, of all the Christian virtues. First John, I mean First Corinthians thirteen, the passage that's read. Often at weddings, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. And he goes on and on and all these virtues are great, but love is supreme. Love is the distinguishing characteristic of God's children. One we will be looking at over these next few weeks. As John moved from being called, if you remember in the Gospel of John, he he and his brother James were called at one point sons of thunder. Who they were was different than who they were when he wrote the Gospel of John, and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. There was a change, there was a transformation that happened in John and in James, and we see that, we know that from what we read in Scripture. They moved from being called Sons of Thunder, which I think Jesus gave them that nickname, if I remember correctly, but to to begin having the nickname, and many have given John the nickname, the Apostle of Love. We've seen a change and transformation take place in John's life. I ask you this morning, church, I ask you this morning if I could name out names individually of each of you. As a result of God's love for you through Jesus Christ, has that love brought about change in your life? Are you a different person today than you were five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, because the love of God is growing and has taken root, has fallen on good soil in your life, and that looks different? There's been a change there. There's something different than there was there Many years ago. My hope is that each of us. As we move through this series over the next few weeks. Can. Uh, as we hear about these different characteristics of God's children. The one that we're going to focus on. Hot and heavy. Is the fact that as God's children. The, the distinguishing characteristic. That should be evident in my life. And in yours. Is love. Love for God. And love for one another. And that's oftentimes not always an easy. Clean. Uh, paths to go sometimes it's messy sometimes we love people that look a lot different than us that talk a lot different than us that vote different from us that have different values from us but yet if God's love is not messy if it's not difficult then I question if it's love at all but when we really take God's message serious this new command that he's given us to love one another it changes us it changes me it has changed me And it changes, I know has changed you as well. Has God's love changed you this morning? Do you look different than you looked just last year or several years ago or earlier in life? Let's pray together. God, I'm thankful that you saw us in our sin. You saw us as we once was or as we were. And Father, you didn't leave us that way. But you sent us your Son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life and to die on the cross, to be the atoning sacrifice for not only my sin, for our sins, but for the sins of the world. God, the distinguishing characteristic, as we think about family resemblance, and we all share different things, looking the same and, and this and that, but Father, as God's children, we may be different shades of skin tone, we may be different heights and different personalities, but the one distinguishing characteristic of your people, should be that of love. Help us, Lord. We confess to follow that new command that you've given us is at times a very difficult thing to do and it's often a very messy thing to do. Father, give us the strength to do that. We know we're not gonna have that strength in our own power, but that strength only comes from you. Father, quicken our hearts today. Lead us down paths that will Help us to walk closer with you. Father, may today your word as it was read and your message as it was preached, and as I prayed fall on good soil. And God, may it take root and may it grow to become strong. And Father, may your love be evident in our lives, in our homes, and in our down our street and in our community. And Father, help it to be a love that doesn't just stay here in North Carolina and in the United States, but help it to be a love that goes to Guatemala and a love that serves in Romania and India and Mexico and Canada and Europe and Russia and across our world so that everyone would know, Father, that you love them and that you have a plan for their lives. Father, stir our hearts today. If there is here anyone that has never committed their life to you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation from the youngest one to the oldest one present. And Lord, if there are those in the room that have drifted away and just simply going through the motions of what it means to be a Christ follower and come to church, and, but Father, uh, there's just a distance there. There's a break in fellowship. Lord, I pray today that that fellowship could be renewed through confession. If there's anyone here today, Lord, that would seek to join and grow and be, become a part of Bowling Springs Baptist, Lord, I pray that they would feel led to come and talk with me about that. We love you, God. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a hymn, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling, Hymn 281. Let's stand and sing together. Come as you are led. remind you that this evening is the last session uh, with Joe Webb and the spiritual growth sessions today at five. Uh, there are other activities I think pl- taking place and meetings and things like that this afternoon and evening and just be mindful if any of those ab- apply to you. Uh, our Wednesday night schedule starts back I believe this week with meals and is that right? Yes, yes, okay, I'm hearing yes, and so just be mindful of that and uh, just be in prayer as well. There's a sign-up sheet down here if you would like to pray for the renewal services. Um, This week, a sheet will be available, like a prayer guide, if you will, uh, so you can pray specifically for things related to that. But we have guests coming in, some from out of town, to be a part of these special services and just pray for our church and Green Bethel and just for our community. These would be challenging, but also a time of, of spiritual renewal for God's church as well. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the love the great love that you have for us. Teach us how to love our neighbor as ourself. Thank you for this time of worship today. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. All of God's people say, amen. amen.